2: You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show.
3: Yes, it does. Thank you, Melissa and gang. I am Brian Sullivan. And here is what is ahead on this busy Monday. Is boring the new exciting? Well, when it comes to stocks, it just might be. As more pros saying that old school, old business, looks like new money ahead. Are SPACs about to get whacked? Skepticism growing about this easy money world. As more people start to bet that SPACs can crap out and move over Musk. There's a new king unicorn out there. How Strife ran roughshod over the competition become the most valuable private company in the world. All that plus the return of rapid fire. All that's ahead on the exchange, but let us begin with the markets and your money. Dom Chu has more on what is moving and where the news
4: is right now. Dom, happy Monday. Happy Monday. Modest gains, Sully. As you can see here, the Dow Industrial is kind of moving into green territory here, up about one-tenth of one percent. 32,816 the last trade there, a very modest 37-point rise. The S&P holding above 3,900, up about just a fraction here not even just about marginally higher. And the Nasdaq Composite, 13355 the last trade, up about one quarter of 1%, really helping to pace the advance, if that's what you want to call it. One key part of the market that a lot of folks are focusing in on is the record high that we saw earlier today in those transportation-type stocks. We've pulled back a little from those record highs so far in intraday trading, but still, so far, look at that difference between transports and the overall S&P 500. Over the last year, those transportation stocks have really taken off. Now, again... That outperformance mostly just into the last couple of months or so one place that's really driving some of the outperformance as of late is the airline stocks specifically american united southwest you know those names out there american airlines is up seven percent today all the airline stocks are surging but of course we want to put in context this is now the highest level that we've seen since the real pandemic lows that we saw during the uh, kind of lockdowns that we saw last year However. This was a $35 stock within the last two years. So keep in mind, American Airlines up big. The rest of the airlines up big, but still have a lot of ground to make up over the last few years. And then Bitcoin prices. According to CoinMetrics, that's one metric that we watch here. The MOGI that you want to watch here is $61,780. That was the record high that we saw over this weekend for Bitcoin prices on this particular measure. We are now off that, about $3,800, 56204 the last trade there. Still, though, Brian... This Bitcoin price was a hair below 30000 to start the year. It hit 61000 over the weekend. So you can just tell almost a doubling, if you will, in price just in that, lat- that span here. Year-to-date, Bri, for Bitcoin. I'll send things back over to you.
3: There was a chart that we saw from EPFR, which is kind of a data research company tracking fund flows, and the chart literally showed institutional money for funds around Bitcoin. And Dom, I don't know if you can see me, but the chart basically went like a roller coaster where you kind of started out before you launched, and then it went straight up. The bottom line is the institutional money, not just retail traders, they're the ones putting money in crypto. One of the reasons, to your point, we've probably seen a doubling in
4: Bitcoin in what, two and a half months? Well, the, the big question right now, Brian, is how much longer that sustains. Remember, there was a real big issue about whether or not institutional investors would tolerate the kind of price volatility in Bitcoin that we've seen over the last several years. If they were to get over that big hurdle of volatility, then maybe it could drive things. But still, there's a case to be made that for many investors out there, they would like to see a little bit more stability in Bitcoin prices. But who knows? I mean, it hit 61,780. I mean a lot of people were skeptical at 10,000, at 20,000, at 30, 40, 50, you get the idea. So the prices are what they are.
3: Many people are skeptical at a dollar. Dom, but hopefully if they hodled, they could buy a solid gold helicopter right now. Dom Chu, <laughs> thank you very <laughs> you much. Buddy, we'll see you soon. Yep. All right, so let's stay right there. The macro markets and your money, less on crypto of course, because many think that the Peter Brady of the markets may finally emerge from Greg's shadow. Okay, that is the sectors and stocks that have been kind of ignored. Maybe we'll call it the pork chops and applesauce trade. You gotta be old to get that. Energy, financials, industrials, they're suddenly red hot. And all in all, lower multiple so-called value stocks, of course, values in the eye of the stockholder are up 10% year to date, while technology has largely struggled. Joining us now, Eli Salzman, Portfolio manager of the Newberger Berman Large Cap Value Fund rated five stars by Morningstar, crushing it this year, up 20%, outperforming the S&P 500 by nearly 15%. Eli, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Congrats to you and your clients on your performance so far this year. I mean, what have been the stocks that have really done it for you? I know it's just a short time period, and what made you see value in them when apparently others did not?
5: Sure. You know, I guess um, in, in regards to your question, the first thing is energy. Uh, energy has been very powerful for us this year. Uh, we aggressively bought energy last year when it was down and out and out of favor. Sticking to our discipline, sticking to our process and philosophy, and behaving like a value manager should. And energy has clearly been a big part of that performance year to date. I mean, I think that took some some guts,
3: to be honest with you, Eli. Because all we talk about is. Fossils are doomed, new administration. It's all about renewables. It's been all about ESG, environmental, social governance, investing. You you factor all that in. Oil and gas stocks have no future. They're going to wind down. Suddenly, 2021 has become the year of oil and gas. Many of these stocks have nearly doubled, albeit a lot of short covering, an awful low low. But what made you see something there?
5: Sure. You know, listen, for most of the last um, nine years that we've been running this this large-cap value fund, We have been underweight energy for most of that time. One of the things that got us very attracted to energy over the last year was the amount of capital and capacity that's come out of the sector. If you look carefully at the sector over the last six years, there's been massive amounts of capital and in turn, massive amounts of capacity that's come out. You look at where the oil rigs were um, as of about five or six months ago, they dropped down to about 176. Normalized, if you look back over the last 10 years, it's about 800 to 1,000 rigs. So, when you have that kind of capacity takeout and you can see the demand on the other side, you know prices are going up. But so we got very, very aggressive on oil when oil went down to 18 and 20. And even for the brief period of time, it went to minus 37. And the three day period, it went to minus. I
3: don't know for the holdings that you like, Devon, in the energy space, obviously they've been through a lot and a deal and kind of come out the other side. But it's not just oil and gas. It's also sort of the uh, they're going to not like this. The more old school financials, Comerica and Truist, which is kind of the old Sun Trust.
5: Yeah, the the answer is it is definitely time to own the banks. Also, you know we're, we're entering an arena right now where um, you know the financials are actually going to get paid. You got a steepening yield curve. You got non performing assets which are misunderstood and nowhere near going to materialize like people fear. And you've got a lot of capacity that's come out of the business a la shadow banking and non-core financials. This makes it much more, it's a much better landscape or if you want to slice it for the banks and specifically for TFC and CMA.
3: At some point, does technology get cheap enough that you would begin to look at it, Eli? Do you think that, that time has come and gone that it was a multi-year run? It was great while it lasted,
5: but see you later. You know, listen, we're, we're an open-minded player and we, uh, there are times it's time to overweight technology and we've been overweight technology many times. This is not one of those times. So, you know, could we come back to technology at some point? Sure. At some point, we will. Right now, technology to us is a short. We would not be in technology. You're entering an environment where rates are going up, and rates going up, long-duration stocks, which is what growth is, um, growth stocks will not perform in this environment. It's time for value over growth. Technology is definitely not one of the places we want to be.
3: Eli Salzman, Newburger Berman, up 20% year-to-date. Eli, we appreciate you coming on. Contrarian view that has worked out on oil and gas. Take care.
5: Great. Thank you.
3: All right. Well, switching gears, SPACs, better known as blank check companies, have been all the rage. In fact, there's been an abundanza, them going public nearly every week. But not everybody is a fan of the SPAC. In fact, the number of people and individuals shorting these stocks continues to surge as well. And the money on the short side is now $2.7 billion. Not a lot, but certainly well above where it was just a couple of months ago. Matt Wirtz co-wrote an article in the Wall Street Journal detailing the rise of these short bets. And he is here now with more. Matt, good to have you. Who specifically would dare bet against Chamath and the SPACs?
6: Hey, Brian, thanks for having me. Uh, You know, you've got you've got two players on the short side right now. One is uh, who you would expect, which are the professional short sellers, the muddy waters of the world. Um, These are firms that go out, publish research on companies that they think are overvalued or that may be misrepresenting themselves to investors. And they tout that position um, and they they put money where their mouth is and they try to make money off of that. Uh, that is a, a big part of what you're seeing right now. Uh, you've got the likes of Hinden, Hindenburg, Muddy Waters, um, until recently Citron uh, publishing reports um, and um, saying either there's something wrong with the story here or look, it's just gone way too far, way too fast. Uh, the other uh, investor that's taking a short position in SPACs is the investor who's made a lot of money on SPACs and who's Maybe concerned about the same thing, that things have run up a little too fast, a little too far. They want to take some money off the table, um, but they don't want to sell their stocks necessarily at this point. And so what they're doing is they're hedging a little bit. And that's why you saw that big increase um, that you just had on the screen over the last couple months.
3: Yeah, and it's, it's SoFi, which uh, one of Chamath Halpatia's funds is going public with. That's what you wrote, 19% shorted. Lordstown Motors, of course, that report from Hindenburg came out last week as well. So is it, is it a certain type of SPAC, Matt, that is being gone after? You know, there's a lot of stuff around electrification of vehicles, battery companies, you know, anything that's got kind of the buzzword on it does at least from your article and other data I've seen seem to be maybe particularly loved
6: by the shorts. I would say yes, but not for the reasons that you think. So it's not that they necessarily don't like EV, although in some cases they like Nikola is a great example where there was a particular view on that um, on that company. But what the short sellers are primarily looking for is liquidity. They need a market cap. They need a stock that they can borrow at a price that isn't prohibitive. So there are a lot of small specs out there that I, I spoke to short sellers. Um, That they they don't like as a business model um, or they don't like the sponsor, for example, uh, who might not have experience, but they can't short it because it's too expensive to borrow the stock. Um, So what you see them going uh, after is some of the bigger names that might have gotten a boost because Chamath um, uh, is the sponsor, right, or any other big name out there. Um, And you also see a lot of demand on the short side for companies that have already been purchased by a SPAC. So another Chamath name that's getting a lot of attention on the short side recently uh, is Clover Health. Um, And that's a company that was already taken public by a Chamath SPAC, SPAC, sorry. And um, that stock is now, you've seen the short interest on that stock go up. I mean, it's still only 6%, so it's not a huge amount, but that's up from around 3% a couple of months ago. Um, So it's the stocks where there is a market cap It's relatively easy to borrow. It's not so expensive. And you think maybe uh, the price has gotten a little bit ahead of its keys. I would imagine shorts got to be
3: careful here, though, Matt, because some of these SPACs, the bigger they are, they might have big names behind them, whoever it may be, who have powerful friends or popular on trading desks, whatever it may be. The loss on a short is theoretically unlimited. So I would imagine be careful out there, folks. Is that a good message?
6: Uh, I mean, you're absolutely right. Right? These are these are momentum st- stocks on on speed, basically. Like if you looked at them, November to February, call it the recent run in momentum in tech, they were up 50 percent while the Nasdaq was up around 25 percent over that time period, right? And then you look on the downside when the correction started in tech and, and momentum in mid-February, SPACs dropped around 20 percent, Nasdaq was down 10. And so if the momentum shifts, which it looks like if you look at last what happened last week, Brian, it looks like momentum is back in favor, at least for now. Um, The shorts could get squeezed very quickly. And that's just on regular market technicals. That's not even considering the Reddit hordes. Right. And so uh, Clover is a really good example, because if you look on Reddit, there's a couple of like strong believers that are out there calling for you know, let, let's go after the shorts. Let's put a squeeze on out there. They're calling on Chamath. They're saying, Chamath, come out with us. Come come squeeze these shorts. I don't know if that's going to happen. I have no idea what their the logic of their, <laughs> you know, their fundamental investment is. But if you see that start, if you see that momentum start to um, accelerate the movement up in specs, then these short sellers are they're in for a world of pain. Um, and that's certainly certainly something that they're yeah. mindful of.
3: And now there are, as you wrote, short instruments being created that are sort of reflecting. I'm waiting for a, for a derivative options trade on synthetically shorting the SPAC through a special purpose offshore vehicle. Until you have that, Matt, you, you, you don't have my interest. I'm kidding. Matt Wartz, The Wall Street Journal. I think you get that reference, Matt. Break. <laughs> <I> <laughs> Take do. care. All right. Thanks, Brian. Uh, all right. Yeah. Things are getting a little crazy out there, folks. Be careful. All right. Coming up. We are apparently all on the road again. Why gas prices are suddenly soaring. And speaking of travel, why the Vegas indicator is starting to boom. Why it's got some? A little more nervous. Dow's up 37. We're back after this.
1: This is The Exchange on CNBC. CNBC.
3: All right, welcome back to The Exchange. Hope you have a good Monday, wherever you may be. Well, if it seems like it's more expensive to fill up your car, you're right. Gas prices up 25 cents a gallon in the past few weeks. On average, a gallon will cost you 2.89 on average. Oh, and oh, California. If you live near the San Francisco Bay Area, you're probably wondering, what are they talking about? I'm paying four bucks. Well, that's the way it goes. All right, it's not just that prices are rising. Traveling is up as well. According to fuel price tracking company GasBuddy, U.S. demand is almost, almost, back to pre-pandemic levels. Last week, the CEO of rental car company Enterprise highlighting just how many people are now driving.
0: The road trip is alive and well, and so many consumers and businesses, the car has become the go-to mode of transportation. People feel safe in a vehicle, they can control their environment, and so um, let people drive.
3: Let's now bring in Patrick Dahan, head of petroleum analysis for GasBuddy, who I highlighted this. You, you called it out on Twitter, Patrick. I retweeted it and thought, wow, this is really fascinating. At first I thought, well, who's traveling? Like, people aren't going to an office, so who, people are just driving in circles. Then I realized those who are going to work are probably not on the subways. Everybody's going to be driving a car. Once you've bought that car, you're not going to sell it. I could see a situation where in six to 12 months, Patrick, you thought traffic jams were bad pre-pandemic. What do you think it's going to be like out there?
1: Yeah, you know, it's certainly looking very bullish. Even from what we thought to start the year, even a month ago, things have really swiftly rebounded. As you mentioned, now Americans are starting to get back to the office. But keep in mind, 2 million-plus vaccines per day, many of those people driving to get a shot maybe looking on where to go either way gasoline demand making an incredible recovery and as you point out according to our data u.s gasoline demand last week down just one percent now from a week ago by the way that last week a year ago was not yet pre-pandemic things really started to hit march 17th of 2020 gasoline demand up uh, by all measures over 10 percent from a month ago in all pad regions across the country it's been a remarkable rebound
3: Yeah, it has. And is there any indication that you think, Patrick, that we're not going to see demand just continue to climb? Some people starting to go back to an office. Now everybody owns a car. Unless they go back to mass transit, it's hard not to see how gas demand does not simply surge in the months and maybe years ahead.
1: Yeah, that's certainly a primary concern as we are starting to get back to normal vaccination. Still the key forward. Now with stimulus in Americans' pockets, they have places to go. Maybe they don't have to pay as much of their rent. Uh, Many of them are back to work. Some of them back to work. And by all measures, uh, Americans really set to hit the road this summer. Many Americans have been locked down for the better part of a year, itching to get out. Now that temperatures are starting to warm up, we're getting a taste for what's to come this summer. Uh, Previous expectations were maybe eight or, if we're lucky, nine million barrels of gasoline demand per day this summer. By all accounts, now nine appears like we could see common, perhaps even approaching 10 million barrels here and there during the summer months if we start to see everything come together.
3: So any indication, anything you're looking at, Patrick, absent some kind of, I don't know, re-lockdown or whatever it might be nationally, which seems incredibly unlikely, but hey, whatever, that gas prices are not just going to go up, up, up.
1: You know, and that's the one caveat. I mean, obviously, COVID-19, it doesn't look like things will turn around. Obviously, Europe, you know, a little bit sense of uh, concern there. Uh, That's something we'll have to keep an eye on. But here in the U.S., by all accounts, vaccines being distributed uh, at pretty swift pace. It doesn't look like things will reverse. but that's the one caveat is if something goes south, We could see uh, some slowdown in demand and thus price, but all all signs really now pointing to the possibility of a $3 national average. After all, we're only 14 cents away from that mark, and here we are. It's just March. So things continue to pick up steam, and what once seemed impossible with $3 a gallon average now seems likely.
3: All those used cars that were sold during the pandemic, they're gonna be put to use. You could see five bucks a gallon in California pretty easily soon if you're right. Patrick Dehan, gasbuddy.com. Patrick, thank you very much. Interesting stuff, keep it coming. My pleasure. Although, don't, don't keep prices down if, if you can. All right, coming up, earning its stripes. Why the Irish payments company has become a real lucky charm for certain investors. And with trillions of cash floating around the planet, where is the money going? we're going to show you coming up Galp 31 we're back after this
8: this podcast is supported by FedEx dear small and medium businesses no one wants happy customers more than you do
3: All right, welcome back well overall not too many big moves in the macro monday market still we all are higher the dow in fact did hit an intraday high at the open up 152 points it was down 148 at the low right now we're up 39 the nasdaq's up two tenths of one percent all this is the 10-year yield kind of stabilizes right around that 1.6 percent level that's been what's moving the market lately folks when yields move stocks move all right let's check the sectors utilities Real estate, consumer discretionary, some of your leaders, energy and some of the financials, the biggest laggards right now, kind of reversal of what we have seen pretty much all of 2021, although the losses are not large at all. Now let's get a quick hit on some of the big single money stock stories that are happening right now, shall we? AMC, sharply higher. Look at that, 27% gain reopening to its flagship LA theaters today planning to resume operations at nearly all of its 56 California theaters by the end of this week. Gains extending in extended stay. Blackstone and Starwood Capital teaming up to buy the hotel owner and operator. All cash, $6 billion deal, has that stock up 13%. Extended stay vacations, by the way, the only segment that outperformed lodging during the pandemic. People kind of moved away and moved in as a surrogate house, if you will. That stock up more than 160% in the past year, so not exactly buying on the low side. And take a look at the pot stocks, the sector moving higher after New York Governor Cuomo said that passing marijuana legalization is something that should be addressed this year. All right, let's step out of the markets and get a CNBC News update with Rahel Solomon for that. Rahel.
2: Hi, Brian. Hello, everyone. Miami is introducing its new police chief. Art Acevedo is the former head of Houston's police force. He drew national attention calling for gun control and marching with protesters after George Floyd's death. He says that law enforcement can be combined with reform.
1: Do not confuse kindness for weakness. We believe in social justice, we believe in social reform, but we also believe in the rule of law. And guess what? They're not mutually exclusive and you can do
9: both.
2: Myanmar, the military has declared martial law in parts of the country's largest cities. This comes a day after security forces killed at least 38 people during crackdowns on protests against the military coup. And in Michigan, a group of doctors is being investigated after they apparently posted operating room pictures on Instagram that showed tissue that was apparently removed from patients. And be sure to tune in to the news with Shepard Smith to find out more about how this was part of a game that the doctors played. That, of course, airs at 7 p.m. Eastern. Brian, certainly something that you don't want to see on the gram. I'll send it back to you.
3: No, you do not. Rahel Solomon, thank you very much. All right, Rahel, thank you. Well, you may not know it from many of the headlines, but at least right now, the pandemic situation is getting dramatically better, literally day after day. Vaccinations soaring, cases crashing, and most importantly, hospitalizations and deaths. The bad outcomes we really care about, the metrics that matter most, they're down as much as 80% in some areas, er- 8-0% in some areas. And as the numbers improve, some states that still have many restrictions tied on are beginning slowly to open back up. LA County, an example, reopening indoor dining, gyms, and movie theaters, albeit at very limited capacity, still reopening. In Nevada, already running a lot more open than its neighbor to the west, conventions and entertainment venues can now resume at 50% capacity. Of course, none of this would be possible without the robust pace of vaccinations, the hard work of all the volunteers and first responders and healthcare workers, in some cases, doing 24-7 shifts at mass vaccination sites. Thank you. Here's your numbers. More than 135 million doses have now been delivered across America. Nearly 70 million adults have now got at least one shot, which even by itself is highly efficacious. That 27%, by the way, of all Americans over the 18 with at least one dose. And with J&J's vaccine on the way, the pace should surge. Fair to say without any hyperbole or opinion based on numbers. April or May could be a very new beginning, let's hope. All right, coming up, another delivery company wants to go public. Yeah, another delivery company in Vegas, baby. Vegas, why it's rolling again. Well, at least half of it, but it's still rolling. That's ahead. And just off the passing of the big spending and stimulus bill, some now saying that big-time tax increases could be coming. Is it time to pay the piper? We'll find out. Stick around. Lots of stripes, delivery overload, and betting on Vegas big time. It is time now for Rapid Fire, and here are Deirdre Bosa, Contessa Brewer, and Kate Rogers. All will enter. Only one will survive. First up, the fintech space is on fire. Online payments tech provider Stripe, now the most valuable startup in the world, worth $95 bucks after its latest funding round. That, folks, nearly tripled its last reported valuation less than a year ago. And to put this into perspective, we talk a lot about Robinhood, Deirdre. Robinhood's valuation, I don't know, maybe 12 or below that now. Stripe at $95 billion. I think this is a a really important and really smart question that I have for you to start if you're ready. Who is Stripe? What do they do?
10: (laughs) You always ask the smartest questions, Brian, but it's fair. I mean, I think about a year and a half ago, we went to the streets of San Francisco where Stripe is based and asked people, have you ever heard of Stripe? And I think everyone we talked to said no. I wonder if that'd be different today, a few years later, but basically it started as seven lines of code that was the back end for payments that websites like pretty much started with all the hottest tech companies, really Uber, Lyft and the gig economy. But now big companies, big tech uses them, including Amazon, Google, Microsoft. Um, so they've really ridden this sort of wave over the last year, especially some of the hot you know pandemic names like DoorDash as well and in e-commerce. Uh, so they've become a $95 billion company. And I guess, Brian, the par- private markets have been hot. So it depends on when you raise money. Um, it was rumored, though, that Stripe could be worth more than $100 billion. And don't forget Coinbase, too. It hasn't had a, a funding round valuing it at $100 billion, but there's some speculation that it could get there.
3: And that's, I think, Kate, sort of the idea, and I was saying that tongue-in-cheek about who they are in the business world, you know, because they're you know, these, these two Irish brothers, I believe, that are now founded this company. They're, they're easily the richest people, certainly in Ireland. They may soon to be the richest people in Europe as well. This is the back-end company. This is not a front-facing name that we're nec- our viewers are necessarily going to see every day, like, a, like an Uber or an Amazon.
9: Yeah, but as Deirdre just pointed out, you know, the pandemic has really accelerated the importance of some of these back-end companies, particularly as it pertains to e-commerce, these transactions for businesses, and we're all continuing to move online. I think that's a trend that will continue to stay even as vaccines roll out, even as we return to in-person business. You know, that's where this is, and I think that speaks to the importance of this company and others like it in this space and why that valuation is so high.
3: All right, story number one down, story two up, Kate, sit there, because I want to go right into my favorite, second favorite A.A. Milne character, <laughs> Deliveroo. No, that's not true. This is actually a British delivery <laughs> service company. Deliveroo, hope you got that, is seeking to raise $1.4 billion on its upcoming IPO on the London Stock Exchange. It is backed by none other than Amazon.com had a $7 billion private valuation back in July, Kate Rogers, but July was multiple years ago in today's type of environment given delivery. What do we know about Deliveroo?
9: Well, Deliveroo's business again another company that's been really accelerated by the pandemic. I think its CEO said back in December that its business had been you know pushed forward by about two or three years due to COVID and how much its customers are relying on delivery of food, groceries, alcohol, and another important part of the business, Brian, which is its dark kitchens business. That's an opportunity that EuroMonitor says could grow to one trillion dollars in the food delivery space by 2030. So just another huge growth area and a company that seems to be an all the right places at the right time
3: okay contessa i want to come to you on delivery in general not deliveroo and i'm not gonna ask you to name names but i know you got young boys and you're probably getting delivery is food delivery like a long-term thing i'm just gonna say i haven't had the you know the food it comes it's often a little lukewarm maybe whatever i mean what do you what do you think as a you know as a parent about the future of, of food delivery is it a pandemic thing
0: I think, I think, No, I think we're sticking to it. I think we're going to all rush out and be in dining rooms for the near future because we're so eager to experience real life. But it's so much more convenient to have it delivered. And if you look at Deliveroo in specifically, I mean, if you're talking about the market being a trillion dollars, which is what the analysts for Deliveroo think it could be by the next decade. I mean, that's, that's a huge market for takeout. That's just Europe. So you know, I'm looking at this right. like a long-term bet in in delivery. I think it's going to stay.
11: Yeah, just seems Brian, like there's a lot I gotta of players. Be, I got to throw some cold e- water on
10: this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I can't let you leave this topic without talking about profitability. Please, we were just talking about this on the exchange a few days ago. Um, Deliveroo coming in, raising money. Yes, this may be a long-term bet. There may be many, many years and decades of growth ahead. But when does it get profitable? I'm still not convinced of that. Even with Amazon behind delivery, Deirdre, it's competing with Just Eat. Deirdre, takeaway, you with know Uber this better East. than
3: anybody. Covering Uber, <laughs> it doesn't matter how you can why. lose. Bi- Uber, how much I mean, money billions has Uber lost. Billions billions
10: of losses. <laughs> Every time uh, I get an Uber, $6 they lose money. Dollars last year. But.
3: Don't worry, we'll lose money on every delivery, but we'll make it up in volume, I promise. By the way, UBS is making a big bet on food food delivery stocks for the names they expect to pop more than 30% because profitability be darned at this point. You can go to cnbc.com slash pro. All right, topic number three, casino stocks. They're moving higher again today. The Nevada governor allowing them to increase their capacity to 50% beginning today. Move comes right as those stimulus checks are starting to hit people's bank accounts. Contessa Brewer, there were pictures all over social media of long check-in lines. That McCarran Airport was packed. I've said Vegas to be sold out by Labor Day. I think it's going to be Memorial Day. What are we hearing about the Vegas recovery right now?
0: Pool season has kicked it off. I mean, that's probably most important for this leisure travel. Okay, let me pour some cold water of my own. Speaking of pools, uh, number one, there are still social <laughs> distancing requirements in place at all of these casinos. So when you go into the tables themselves, you're still supposed to be six feet from other players. So they're going to have a hard time hitting those. occupancy, the max levels. And in fact, I heard today from one of the biggest Las Vegas strip casinos, nobody's turning away people coming in. We haven't reached the point where we have to turn anybody away because we're uh, uh, achieving more than 50% occupancy. So even though there is the crowded airports, we know that weekend business has been very good for Las Vegas. January was seen as the bottom. The real push is going to come from these conventions and conferences and big group sales meetings that have been, for all um, intents and purposes, banned because you couldn't yep. have crowds bigger than 250 people. Now the governor's going to allow that in. That means the first big uh, citywide convention, the World of Concrete meeting that is scheduled for the beginning of June, will be allowed to go on. And they're really looking forward to restarting convention business in Las Vegas.
3: The world of con- world of concrete, by the way, always an extremely solid event. Um, you're welcome, Contessa, on that one. Talk to us though about the chance. What if cases spike? What if cases re-spike? Could they shut it all back down again? That's, that's the big variable. Be careful when you're booking. Make sure you get refundable fares, I would imagine.
0: The, not only that, but they're saying in order for some of the big conventions that have been booked for July, to go on. They're going to need Governor Sisolak to raise the limits even further than they are right now. And while they have now just allowed all of the resort employees to get vaccinated, visitors coming in, like from Texas or Florida, could be a problem.
3: Okay. Well, listen, we're going to find out, won't we, future history. Let's just hope, listen, let's all hope, contested that the World of Concrete Convention goes off well and lays a solid (laughs) foundation for in-person events from here on out. Finally, with stimulus checks hitting people's bank accounts this week, retailers are beginning to roll out their own stimulus sales promotions, like one I posted without mentioning the name over the weekend. Jewelers, there's the ad. If you're on the radio, it's basically people holding up piles of cash with a phone and a stimulus sale code to try to get you to spend your check On jewelry, Kate Rogers, I get it. There's a lot of small business jewelers out there that you've talked to, that we talk about. They want the money. Mm -hmm. What do you make of these ads? I mean, the the idea is supposed to be, let's help pay the rent and utilities, not kind of, I don't know. Here's your code and 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 a picture of a pile of cash. What's your thought?
9: I can see, listen, the retailers need to shoot their shot, right? So many have been struggling. You can't blame them for trying, perhaps getting creative with marketing, but largely that's not what people are spending their stimulus money on. As you mentioned, it's you know rent, utilities, paying down debt, perhaps building up a little bit of savings if they're able to. So you can understand retailers who have been struggling so much going on a full year now or surpassing a year, you can understand why they may wanna do this. Will it work? I don't really know. I was surprised to see it, quite frankly. But again, it's largely not really where consumers are going to spend their money. Deirdre. They're, they're going to
10: Bitcoin, Brian. That's all I got to say. Um, there's a study out from Azuho saying that 10%, estimating 10%, that's nearly $40 billion of those direct stimmy checks are going to go into stocks or Bitcoin and, you know, we know we have some or, clues as to how millennials March and Madness like betting. to trade. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah, good point. Good point, Contessa.
3: <laughs> well, it might be in Bitcoin. It might be at the jeweler. It might be on the blackjack table at the Cosmo in Vegas. Who knows? Hopefully, a lot of it's going to be used for paying the rent and stuff like that. All right, dear Bosa, Contessa Brewer, Kate Rogers, rapid fire over on a Monday. Great stuff all. Thank you. <laughs> Coming up, Asset Manager Victory Capital hitting a 52-week high today, taking a victory lap, outperforming the broader markets this year. We're going to speak with the CEO about where investors are really putting their money right now. Here's a hand. He says three letters have been really popular with their clients lately. Big change back after this. Shares of Asset Manager Victory Capital outpacing the S&P and NASDAQ by more than 30% in the past six months and hitting a new 52 week high today. Look at that run of 58% in a number of months. Company saw investor inflow surge amid the pandemic with assets under management, hitting a record $150 billion last year. And the CEO says ESG is still one of the most popular investment requests from clients. Let's welcome in Dave Brown, chairman and CEO of Victory Capital. Dave, good to have you on. Congrats on the performance. You know, ESG, we talked about it a lot last year. Oil and gas is actually kicking butt this year, but you say, that the client interest around environmental, social governance names is still really hot.
11: First, thank you for having me. Um, ESG is, we hear from our clients all the time, super important. Uh, Years ago, it was talked about as a fad, it's here to stay, it's important to clients. It's actually really smart investing. Um, A lot of the ESG screens that you use, people have been using for years, in fact, We bought a business not too long ago. We just closed a company called THB that's been doing socially responsible investing for over three decades. Um, ESG allows you to look into a company and a lot of the triggers on ESG gives you a really good insight into whether it's a smart company to buy, whether it's a smart company to stay away from. And I think as we look forward, uh, there's gonna be more and more demand for ESG products, products where managers are looking at you know, the dynamics of the company and saying, does this fit an ESG mindset?
3: And is, is a lot of debate, Dave, about ESG and what it means. I mean, I think we can easily pick some some real names, but every company will try to convince you that they are. E- I know we make deadly whatever it is, but we buy credits on this side. So how do you guys define it?
11: Yeah, that that is the challenge today. I won't use a name, but if you think about some of the brownest companies, if you will, from carbon and oil, they actually hold the most green patents. So what do you do with a company like that? A lot of it has to do with how you screen, how you digest the information. It isn't a one size fits all. I would think of ESG this way. Look at a process, an investment process, and how it fits into that investment process. I think the days of just saying, "Do you are you an oil company or are you not an oil company? I think those days are behind us. It's really a smart way to look at a company and it's how it fits into an overall investment process. But I will say this, people, investors care about what companies are doing. Investors care where their money is going. And companies need to think about that. And portfolios need to factor that in. That is not going away. And I think as we look forward, it's gonna become more and more important.
3: Yeah, and so how do you define it ahead, Dave? I mean, Cowen Research, by the way, just added an ESG score to their their sell-side analyst research. I'm sure others have or will do that. Uh, How much time do you guys take diving through this?
11: So we have 10 investment franchises and a solutions platform. They all manage money uniquely and differently, and they all have their their own edge. Some use quantitative, some use traditional, some blend. Uh, We have rules-based portfolios. Each one of those franchises incorporates it uniquely into how they're managing money. We have uh, franchises that use quantitative screens and then look at portfolios after that. We have some that don't even use the quantitative screens. They're doing their own research. It really depends. It is actually one of the challenges going forward. I think your, your earlier comment about, you know, everybody says they're doing ESG, but are they really? Yep. I think that is the challenge for the industry to get a definition around it. Um, the scoring systems that are out there, yeah. um, at best, they're average. And I think they're need of data. There is no one... Complete data, you know, universe yeah. to pull from.
3: That that it makes it that makes it tough. Either way, great year. Victory Capital. Dave Brown, CEO. Thank you very much for joining us, Dave. Best two in yours. Have a great day.
1: Thank right you. Right on for deck.
3: We're going to talk about Democrats beginning to craft your welcome, their infrastructure bill, but is a big tax hike also on the road ahead. and welcome back to the exchange. Democrats are in the process of crafting an infrastructure package. And with more spending likely on the way, our tax hikes soon to follow? Alan Moy joining us now with a closer look at what hikes we might see and when we might see them. Alan.
7: Well, Brian, you're right. Democrats are officially starting to put together that infrastructure package. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has told her committees to put pen to paper, and she's vowing that the legislation will be big, bold, and transformational. There's also a good chance that it'll include a tax hike, either on the wealthy, corporations, or on both. Now, this weekend, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said they need to pay more to help meet the spending needs of the economy. And President Biden proposed a few ways to do that during his campaign. He's called for raising the corporate rate from 21 to 28 percent. That would bring in $727 billion over the next decade. A minimum global tax on foreign income would raise another $442 billion. He'd also raise the income tax rate on top earners back to 39 percent. That's worth $112 billion. And taxing capital gains as ordinary income for millionaires, that would raise $373 billion. According to the Tax Policy Center, the tax plan that Biden pitched on the trail comes with a $2 trillion price tag. Now, it's still too early to say which of these measures Democrats might include as part of their infrastructure package. But, Brian, this is the low-hanging fruit that they can pick from as the appetite for another big deficit-busting spending bill could be limited. Back to you.
3: Yeah, very quickly along, about 30 seconds, anything ruled out as a possible tax hike?
7: The business community has been in favor of increasing the gas tax, but Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg has said that is not on the table right now.
3: All right, wonder if a VAT, a national VAT could come up as well. Alon Moy, great stuff. Thank you very much. Alon, see you soon and that does it for us here on the exchange.
2: You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place.
8: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery.